What the hell do you have to lose? Oh. Don't ask. Just don't ask. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right, oh, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast. As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM Queso in Cozy Cottage Grove. In lovely Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI. In Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And yes, coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk Radio, Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. You have found the broadcast. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, and maybe Desi Doyen. Maybe. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> From bradblog.com, thank you for joining both of us today. You're swell enough. Thank you. My thanks also to Angie Coiro of indeepradio.com for filling in for us on our previous thrilling episode. And by the way, it was a great show uh, that Angie put together. Um, always enjoy her shows. Uh, with Three Davids. She had three Davids on the show, Desi. Uh, David Atkins and David Johnson, Dave Johnson discussing the offshore corporate tax scam and what, if anything, can actually be done about it. Uh, and uh, David Dayan, our old friend on the uh, citizen heroes who were illegally foreclosed by the banks during the mortgage crisis and how they discovered it on their own, how they discovered that it was illegal that they were being foreclosed and how they tried to hold the banks accountable for it, as uh, David details in his new book, Chain of Title. It was a great episode of the Bradcast, if you missed it. Um, you can download it at bradblog.com or your favorite site, wherever the Bradcast is made available, for free. And uh, that is, of course, thanks to support uh, the support of listeners like you as they like to say, <laughs> uh, for uh, helping us stay on the air. So thank you for that. Um, well, uh, Donald Trump, everything is fine now. Uh, we, you know, we, we missed one day and apparently everything is fine. Donald Trump is now behaving. All is good. He's pivoted. He has totally turned his campaign around. He's being nice to everybody. He's being polite to everybody. And, uh, oh, he's uh, apparently he's reaching out to African-American voters even. Look how much African-American communities have suffered under democratic control. To those I say the following. What do you have to lose by trying something new like Trump? What do you have to lose? 
I say it again, what do you have to lose? Look, what do you have to lose? You're living in poverty, your schools are no good, you have no jobs, 58% of your youth is unemployed. What the hell do you have to lose? Yeah, because you suck. You're basically horrible, you're in poverty, everything's and terrible. And at the end of four years, man, I guarantee you, that I will get over 95% of the African-American vote. I promise you. Yes. Delusional yeah. much? Yes, uh, of course you will. Uh, so basically he's saying everything is so terrible for you people, you black people out there, you African-American people out there. Uh, hey, vote for me. It couldn't get any worse, right? Um, well, a couple of problems there. Uh, one, according to uh, PolitiFact and other people who have looked at this, uh, the jobless rate for uh, African-American youth is not 58 percent. It actually turns out, if you care about actual numbers and reality and stuff, uh, that uh, the jobless rate for African-Americans between 16 and 24 years old was under 19 percent. Now, it's still too much. It's still too high, obviously. Uh, 19%, but that's a far cry different than 58%, than the majority of your young people are out of uh, out of a job, that the majority, as he was implying, of you live in poverty. Uh, kind of amazing. In any event, it was after that speech and a couple of others last week that, um, well, you know, the media said, oh, this is uh, Donald Trump's pivot. He's now acting presidential. And of course, Donald Trump's supporters, uh, his his new campaign manager, Kellyanne Conway and Reince Priebus, et cetera. They, they were all very, very happy to say uh, how well he was doing. Here was Kellyanne Conway over the weekend. This was the best week, I think, so far in the Trump campaign, mostly because he's able to be himself, the authentic Donald Trump. He said, if I have chosen the wrong words or said something that, in a way that I didn't intend, then I regret that. But this is exactly what people love. They love humility. They love accessibility. They love authenticity. I think Donald Trump is back in Hillary Clinton's head. If you look at the way they responded to this week, and that's exactly where he needs to be occupying serious real estate in Hillary Clinton's head, because then right. they make it about him. Yeah, there you, so it, it's it's all everything is back in order. Everything is in good shape. And and you know, I I, you, I just want to just jump yeah. in that the non-apology, the non-really regret that he expressed. Trump said if anything that he said might have hurt somebody somewhere. I mean, that's not an apology. Then he regrets it. Yeah, he right. regrets he that, that that sometimes he doesn't say things right. But I find that hard that, that they really carried away with that. And well, and of course, he didn't apologize to any specific. And when people have been trying to press him and his supporters, if there was anybody specific he was apologizing to or any actual thing he apologized for, nobody would come up with anything. It was a blanket. I regret it. Everything is fine. Everything is over. It was like Yom Kippur for Donald Trump. One day, uh, our Jewish listeners know what that means, uh, which is, you know, on Yom Kippur, a uh, high Jewish holiday, you come in, you go to synagogue for uh, an hour or two, you're, you atone for your sins for the past year, and everything is cleaned, everything is cleansed, you're fine, you're good, you're clear, you can move on uh, with your lives. Uh, that apparently is what uh, Donald Trump was doing. He was making one apology, covers everything, and then he moves on. And it's a non-apology. Uh, and a non-apology apology, but for him, close enough.
Uh, <laughs> Reince Priebus uh, thought it was uh, just fantastic, uh, you know, how well he's been doing of late and how, how mature he, he's uh, showing himself to be. I think that keep doing what he's been doing over the last 10 days, which is I, I think he's shown maturity. I think that he's growing in his role. Oh, he is. He's growing in his role. He is fantastic. He also gave a, uh, a, a, a speech they called his law and order speech late last week or at some point last week. Um, and uh, Senator Jeff Sessions from, where is he from, Alabama? You remember where? Yes. Yeah, I think it's Alabama. Uh, so Senator Jeff Sessions, who was one of the first folks to uh, come in support, to come out in support of, uh, of Donald Trump, he was particularly impressed with the law and order speech. Uh, do we have that? We have his comments. Yeah, there's uh, Jeff Sessions uh, giving his kudos to Donald Trump for that uh, for that fantastic uh, law and order speech. And then I'll give you some actual facts about what Jeff Sessions is saying here. That speech was great. Uh, I thought and it, Trump has always been this way. He bought an ad. People say, you know, wasn't a conservative, but he bought an ad 20 years ago in The New York Times calling for the death penalty. I mean, how many people in New York, that liberal bastion, were willing to do something like that? So he believes in law and order, uh, and uh, he has the strength and will to make uh, make this country safer. And the biggest benefits uh, from that are really our poor people in the neighborhoods that are most dangerous, where most of the crime is occurring. And uh, I think people can come to understand that if, if the message continues to pound away. Well, there you go. So the benefit uh, for uh, Trump's law and order is is poor people, those in poor neighborhoods uh, and evidence that, you know, the fact that he was willing to come out and call for the death penalty years ago in New York City, as uh, Jeff Sessions says, Senator Jeff Sessions there says um, in the liberal bastion that is New York City. And it's true. Donald Trump did put out an ad. I believe it was in the uh, uh, New York Daily News, if I recall, uh, in the New York Times back in 1989, calling for the death penalty. Now, Sessions doesn't go into the details about what he was calling for, why he was calling for the death penalty and who these poor people were that would benefit from things like Donald Trump's call for uh, for the death penalty back in in New York state, which did not and still does not have the where it's banned. It's it's illegal uh, to, to put someone to death in New York City or I'm sorry, in, in the state of New York. They don't have the death penalty. God love them because that liberal bastion is apparently part of, uh, you know, modern civilization as opposed to the Dark Ages, where the government still kills its own citizens for things. In any event, that was 1989 that Donald Trump put out that ad in the newspaper calling for the death penalty, specifically calling for the death penalty for these five, uh, these five kids who were known as the Central Park Five at the time. And you may remember the Central Park Jogger case. These were five young African-American and Hispanic boys from Harlem. They were aged 14 to 16. And they were rounded up and charged with uh, this brutal uh, rape of this uh, woman who was jogging through Central Park. I wrote about this for the uh, for the progressive a few years ago uh, after a, a documentary film about the Central Park Five came out by uh, by Ken Burns and his daughter, uh, Sarah Burns and David McMahon. 
so yeah, the story was these these five uh, kids from Harlem, 14 to 16 year old. And as it turns out, as we know now, as we came to learn sometime later, those five kids had absolutely nothing to do with the brutal beating and the horrific rape of the uh, white, affluent, 28-year-old female jogger. Uh, and nonetheless, they ended up serving uh, some seven years each in jail. They had nothing to do with it. Uh, they were in jail for even longer uh, in, in the case of the one 16-year-old in this case. This was after their false confessions were coerced out of them by the New York City police detectives in the days immediately following this terrible crime. So according to the uh, to the documentary, the Central Park Five, one of the kids who, who was falsely convicted wasn't even considered a suspect when the New York uh, City detectives uh, went up to Harlem seeking to bring the boy's friend into the station for questioning. Uh, he suggested to this boy, hey, why don't you come along for a quick ride downtown and back? He promised that he'd he'd be home in an hour or so. It was Years before that boy, before either of those two boys were ever allowed to go back home for good. Those five kids had nothing to do with the Central Park jogger case. Donald Trump's ad in the newspapers in New York, that liberal bastion for which uh, Senator Jeff Session thinks he's such a hero. That ad was calling for killing those children aged 14 to 16 who had nothing to do with that crime. Nothing. As it turns out, uh, in, in 2002, it wasn't until in 2002, while serving a life sentence, the, uh, the so-called East Side Rapist, uh, a guy by the name of Matthias Reyes, Reyes uh, offered a real confession to the crime of the Central Park jogger case, uh, which he said and which evidence confirmed he committed alone. Reyes had been arrested after a string of serial rapes and murders on New York's Upper East Side. It was just months after the Central Park jogger incident that he was arrested, but police never bothered to tie him to the Central Park jogger case. That case uh, was uh, said by the uh, NYPD and the media and Donald Trump, who took their word for it, was uh, took the, the the kids and their false confession. Uh, that was said to have been solved, uh, you know, just days later. That Central Park case was solved. So why bother to tie this other guy to it? Supposedly it was that initial one was committed by a roaming wolf pack. Remember the wilding? They called it why I used to live in New York at the time. It was the this wilding incident. These kids from Harlem, uh, as it was referred to at the time by the police, by the media, all of whom had wrongly reported on it. And by the way, it wouldn't even have been difficult to tie Reyes to the Central Park case because the only DNA found at the scene of the rape of the jogger was never tied to any of the kids before they were tried and convicted. There was no DNA or fingerprints or any of the five boys uh, for any of the five boys that was found anywhere near the crime scene. And yet those five kids were found guilty after their videotaped confession. Now, after uh, Reyes, uh, it was a false confession. I'll explain that in a minute. But after Reyes, conf uh, his own confession, the actual the guy who actually did it years later, uh, the DNA in semen samples from that rape was found to match Reyes's. Go figure. 
Now, what about those confessions? What about those false confessions? Well, the videotaped confessions of those uh, falsely convicted boys were the result of nearly 24 straight hours of interrogation for each of these kids, these 14, 15 and 16 year old kids, 24 straight hours. They had been awake for nearly two days, according to New York magazine, by the time prosecutors turned on the the camera to tape their stories and to get that false confession after they had worn them down. Each of the boys had been promised that they'd finally be able to go home to their parents if they just signed these confessions that they were, you know, that they rehearsed so that they could then repeat them on camera once the New York PD turned on the camera. And none of the boys' confessions, none of their stories actually matched each other's stories because they couldn't because they were making them up as they were going, because they were suggested to them by the cops. You did this. You did that, didn't you? And eventually they said, yeah. And yet videotapes of those confessions that were given on tape before the boys, again, 14, 15 and 16 year old boys before they even had lawyers that was used. Those confessions were used as the only evidence against them in their trials. It had to be the only evidence against them because they didn't do it and because there was nothing tying them to the scene. Days later, the, each of the boys would retract their false confessions, but by then it didn't matter. The videotapes were too powerful. Uh, the, the juror, there was one juror apparently who tried to hold out, according to the film, after 13 hours of deliberation. Even that juror ultimately gave up. Now, mind you, if New York had had that death penalty at the time of the Central Park jogger crime, at the time that Donald Trump took to the newspapers and said, let's kill these kids, let's kill all five of them. Let's kill them. If, if New York had actually had the death penalty at that time, uh, not only is it likely that at least the oldest uh, of the, the kids would have been killed, but the real rapist, that Reyes guy, he would have been put to death uh, for the murders and the rapes that he was captured for years later. And uh, or, you know, or if he had been killed during one of those uh, murders and rapes that he was doing or during the course of the capture, had Reyes not survived to ultimately confess to the crime, those five kids. Well, they would have been put to death. They would have never been exonerated for the uh, for this horrific crime that they did not commit. That's the law and order that Donald Trump is calling for that Senator Jeff Sessions says is so wonderful and, and that it benefits the poor kids in the poor communities. The crime that they never committed that Donald Trump just can't wait to kill them for. And that he was willing to take out bravely, take out ads uh, calling for the. Now, this is how many years later are we? And by the way, they have now been completely exonerated. I believe they won millions. It, it took years and years. They uh, got millions from the from the city in compensation, in compensation. for the, the, the prosecution. Yeah. As a settlement, they didn't do it. And yet Jeff Sessions. Today or last week goes out and lauds Donald Trump for calling for the death penalty to kill those kids. 
I suspect the folks that Donald Trump is now trying to get to vote for him in the African-American community, I, get, I think they heard that. I think they heard that when uh, when Jeff Sessions uh, lauds Donald Trump for calling for the uh, for the death penalty for those kids who had nothing to do with it. And yet Donald Trump continues to go out, continues to uh, act like uh, the, the Republican Party is the home for uh, for African-American voters here. He, he made the case uh, a day or two later after he originally made it last week. In recent days, across this country, I've asked the African-American community to honor me with their vote. I fully recognize the outreach to the African-American community is in an area where the Republican Party must do better. And it will do better. The GOP is the party of Abraham Lincoln. And I want our party to be the home of the African-American voter once again. Well, if Donald Trump wants the Republican Party to be the home of the African-American voter uh, once again, he ought to tell his uh, his surrogates. He ought to tell the people that he works with. He ought to tell the Republican governors and the Republican um, party heads around the country that he wants the Republican Party to be the home for African-Americans again. I got to take a quick break, but we'll come back. Desi, have you, did you see that, uh, d- that ad? My goodness, no. Yes, I know. I will come back and oh. talk about that ad uh, from a Republican, or at least that tweet uh, from a Republican, uh, <laughs> a Republican Party out here in California. And we'll talk about some of uh, these Republican governors and how they're reaching out, how their outreach is going that Trump is now calling for uh, for the African-American community, what the governors around the country are are doing and the party, the Republican Party are doing around the country to reach out to those African-Americans. Hint, it's not going very well. I'll get to that after this. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round, like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to help keep us going. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, as uh, <laughs> Trump has, has made his pivot, he is actually reaching out to the African-American voters, as we discussed in the last segment. Well, if he is doing that, he ought to be uh, he, he ought to get the word out. He ought to let the rest of his Republican uh, friends know about that around the country. The Republican governors, the Republican parties around the country, including out here in California. 
And uh, I don't know if you saw this. This happened uh, earlier this month. But, uh, you know, if you want to reach the African-American voters, uh, A, you probably shouldn't uh, point out how you've been calling for the death penalty for years, including specifically for five children, five African-American and Hispanic children up in Harlem back in the 80s who had nothing to do with a, uh, with a, with a crime. You ought to be careful about calling for their death, uh, citing when Donald Trump had called for the death penalty for those kids who had nothing to do with it uh, back in the 80s. So avoid that. Also, uh, avoid using uh, imagery in your ads uh, with uh, nooses in them. Oh, dear. Hangmen in them. Yeah. So I don't know if you saw this. A portrait of a hangman holding a noose with a caption uh, titled, I'm ready for Hillary was posted, and it was posted twice, by the way, by the Riverside County, California Republican Party Twitter account earlier this month. The the tweet was posted by the county GOPs uh, on their actual, you know, Twitter feed, and then it was eventually removed, according to the uh, Riverside Press Enterprise. Riverside County GOP chairman Scott Mann, after this was uh, posted, actually some time after this was posted and after it was removed, said he told the newspaper, told the press enterprise that he was horrified by this graphic and horrified by this tweet and that he would take action against the person responsible. Didn't say who it was. But he said, don't worry, uh, that's not that can't happen again. He said, quote, "Uh, while some may think it was political satire. It clearly has no place in American political dialogue. As chairman of the Republican Party of Riverside County, I apologize to everyone and anyone who was offended by it. I have, again, one of those blanket to anyone who might have been offended. I'm sorry. I have taken steps to ensure that the individual who posted the tweet no longer has access. And I can assure you the person responsible will be held accountable. Not accountable enough that he tells us who that person is and what happened to that person. Was he fired or no? We just don't let him tweet anymore. So that was the the, the chair of the Riverside County GOP, uh, Scott Mann, after posting this photo with a hangman and holding a noose saying, I'm ready for Hillary. But that was not the original response that uh, the Riverside County, California GOP chairman Scott Mann said originally. Uh, He said uh, in an earlier statement to the same newspaper, he said, well, that meme, the meme of the hangman, is nothing more than political satire. It simply expresses how Ms. Clinton seemingly has gotten away with every scandal and political flip flop in her public life. I'm not sure how that is satire and has to do with uh, getting away with every scandal and political flip flop in her public life, putting a hangman standing up on the gallows with a noose in his hand. Uh, But that's what the GOP county uh, chairman said in Riverside County before he said uh, he before he pretended to be appalled by it. So apparently the outreach to the African-American community is not going that well among the party itself and including in Riverside County, not just because of this ad. 
Um, but because if you look at Riverside County, which is out here, we're, we live near near Riverside County. Yeah. We're in Los Angeles. Riverside County is east of Los Angeles County. It's it's a major county in Southern California. It's a major county, and it has long been one of the few deeply Republican bastions in uh, in California. Uh, uh, Riverside County and Orange County, very, very Republican, have been for years, have been as long as anybody can remember. That remember that was uh, that includes Palm Springs, where Mary uh, uh, Bono used to be uh, uh, representative there. Yes. Yeah. Um, guess what? Things are changing, and it's freaking out the Republicans, including here in California in the very red county of Riverside. For the first time in recent memory, according to the Press Enterprise and perhaps history, uh, the number of registered Democratic voters in Riverside County now outnumbers the ranks of registered Republican voters. Data released. This is according to data released by the County Registrar of Voters last week. This change, uh, Press Enterprise says, is a major victory for Democrats as they work to turn the once solidly inland empire blue. Uh, It's the first time in at least 17 years the Democrats have held an edge in voter registration in Riverside County. According to the registrar out there, the state's online voter registration records only go back to 1999. And in that time, it, it, the, the, the records that they keep in that time, it has always shown that uh, it has been a Republican bastion. But no more. Republicans, as a matter of fact, outnumbered Democrats as recently as uh, as late April of this year. It took 17 years, at least, to close a 10 percentage point gap that the uh, GOP had with Democrats adding 18,000 voters in the past month. County GOP Chairman Scott Mann, remember him? Uh, He he saw the uh, change as a long trend that began with the passage of Proposition 187 back in 1994. That was a ballot measure. measure. It was eventually overturned by the courts, but it denied public education and other public assistance to undocumented immigrants. And it's seen as having turned the Latino voter uh, sentiment against Republicans in California. Uh, Republican governor at the time, Pete Wilson, had supported 187 and things have been turning the other way for Republicans ever since. So, yes, the things that uh, Donald Trump is out there right now saying about uh, Hispanics, about whoever, whatever interest group it is that he's he's uh, hitting that day. This is going to have an effect for a long time for the Republican Party. It is having an effect now. It is having an effect already in places like Riverside County, California. But it's going to have an effect all over the country for a very long time. We're looking at a line. We can draw this line straight all the way back to 1994 and Proposition 187. Uh, And and that was, remember, uh, uh, California used to be a very Republican state. We elected uh, Ronald Reagan out here as governor, uh, Pete Wilson, of course, even even recently Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now, Jack Pitney, a professor of politics at Claremont McKenna College, noted that uh, Republican voter registration statewide is in decline 35 percent. It's across the whole state. Thirty five percent of California voters were Republicans in 2000. That is now down to just 27 percent in the state of California today. Democrats hold every statewide elected office and a majority in the legislature. 39 of California's 53 House seats 
and both of its U.S. Senate seats all belong to uh, to Democrats. And the circumstances of this year's election won't help, Pitney notes. Uh, there is not even a Republican on the ballot in a major statewide race this year. Because we now have this uh, top two primary out here in California, the uh, whoever finishes, everyone runs together in a top two primary. So all the parties in the primary, they run together for all of the offices now out here in California, except for uh, except for president. Um, they each have their own. Each party has its own uh, uh, presidential primary. But for all of the other offices, uh, you know, governor, lieutenant governor, secretary of state, comptroller, all of that, so on and so forth. Uh, attorney general, whoever finishes the top two in the primary goes on to the general election. And in this last primary, the top two in the, the statewide races that were up were all Republicans. I'm sorry. We're all Democrats. We're both Democrats. So we've got uh, Barbara Boxer, Democratic senator from uh, California. She's uh, retiring. She's leaving the Senate this year. And uh, there are two, two women, as it turns out, two women, two Democratic women who are vying for her seat this November. Two Democrats on the ballot. Republicans will have no one to even vote for on that ballot. That's how bad it's getting out here in California for Republicans. In case Republicans around the rest of the country might want to start taking notice and realize uh, realize the trouble that they are going to be in. County uh, Riverside County Democratic Chairman uh, Howard Katz said that voter backlash against Trump absolutely is helping to register Democratic voters and the Orange County Democratic Party chairman, uh, the other very, very Republican uh, county in in California. Uh, the Orange County Democratic Party chairman told the Orange County Register Register recently that Trump, quote, has become our best marketing tool. The GOP voter registration advantage in traditionally conservative Orange County has now been cut to less than six percentage points, according to the paper. Uh, And by the way, they give uh, some credit to Bernie Sanders and the competitive state primary in June for also helping to boost Democratic voter registration numbers out here. So uh, California may, uh, you know, may offer a. Uh, an omen to the rest of the country, what it's like when you turn against your own people, when you turn against uh, African-American voters, when you turn against Hispanic voters, as was the case out here in California. And um, so that's kind of what's going on all over the country. California is is leading the way, but that's kind of going on all over the country, which explains why Republicans in state after state after state are now so desperate to keep people from voting at all, specifically certain types of people. Uh, But in general, the more they can keep people from being able to cast a vote at all, the better that goes for Republicans, which is why we have been talking, I want to say for the last several weeks, but at this point I think it's the last several years (laughs) about the effort by Republicans Uh, You know, to institute photo ID restrictions, to now limit uh, early voting, uh, to to keep 16 and 17 year olds from being able to register early because they are doing anything they can do. Any trick they can come up with. Here's another trick, by the way. 
offer a policies that people give a damn about, offer policies that maybe African-Americans or Hispanics might like. And that does not include calling for the death penalty, by the way, Senator Sessions. Uh, offer policies instead of saying, hey, what do you have to lose? Most of you people are in poverty. Uh, most of you people are unemployed, all of which is not true, but that's what Donald Trump, that's, that's his pivot. That's Donald Trump uh, being mature, as uh, Reince Priebus said, showing maturity and, and being presidential. Yeah, and also with Jeff Sessions, not mentioning that part about most of you people, using your construction, most of you people are also far more likely to be put to death in the death penalty in states across the country. I mean, there's a huge disparity, right. racial disparity, in the application of the death penalty. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of racial disparities, uh, and speaking of what it is that Republican governors around the country are now trying to do to keep voters from being able to cast their legal vote, uh, Ernie Canning, our uh, legal uh, analyst at bradblog.com, wrote over the weekend about what has happened now in Michigan for Michigan uh, Republicans, where you've got a, re a Republican governor there who's really up against it because of the Flint water crisis and what that state is now trying to do to keep voters from being able to vote, specifically African-American voters. Uh, Canning writes, in yet another setback for GOP voter suppression efforts, the U.S. Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals upheld a district court preliminary injunction that prevented Michigan Republicans from eliminating straight party voting in the Great Lakes state. So now straight party voting for those people who don't have is where all you have to do is you have to choose Republican or Democratic or Green or Libertarian or whatever it is. And you will choose all of the uh, the, the Republican uh, uh, candidates on the ballot in one fell swoop or all of the Democratic candidates on the ballot in one fell swoop. The U.S. Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals said, no, you can't do away with that. Uh, now, they don't say that, uh, you know, you, you can't that it, you, you, every state has to offer it because every state does not offer straight ticket voting, straight party voting. But the court observed that straight party voting has been available to, in Michigan to its citizens there for an uninterrupted period of 125 years. From 1891 until 2016, they've been offering straight ticket voting. Now, that doesn't mean that the legislature can't do away with it if they want. And that's exactly what they did. The legislature uh, and the Republican governor there voted to do away with it. On, a, by the way, a very narrow, uh, uh, strictly party line vote in late 2015. They say we got to get rid of this straight party voting because too many Democrats, frankly, are walking in and using it and choosing uh, Democrats and walking out. Straight party voting in Michigan, uh, Ernie Canning notes, is so popular that voters have twice rejected efforts to eliminate it via the referendum process. So whenever they put it up on the ballot, voters say, no, 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 we would like to continue the straight party uh, voting. So no matter how many times they've tried, right. they've tried several times now, they keep getting stopped. People say, no, we like this. We like this. And so the folks that right. have been elected to represent them are still trying to still stop trying it. to get rid of it. And, uh, right. It was on the referendum. It's it was comical. on the ballot in 1964. It was again on the ballot in in 2001. But now here's the thing. And here's the reason why the Republicans so much want to get rid of it. 
uh, over half of the Michigan electorate actually uses the straight ticket option. And by the way, I should say I'm not a fan of straight party, uh, straight ticket voting. I, I, I would be uh, delighted if you know voters actually had to go through. I think it locks in the two party duopoly, to be frank. Uh, I'm also not a fan of early voting. Uh, and yet, uh, you know, taking it away for those people who need it to make it more you know, convenient for them. I'm against taking it away, particularly when it is disproportionately used by African-Americans, as is the case also with straight party voting. So over half of the Michigan electorate uses the straight ticket option. It's very efficient. It's very quick. It moves people in and out of the polls quite quickly. Um, and uh, but uh, it is disproportionately relied upon by African-Americans. So 67 percent of African-American voters used it in 2012. Seventy three and a half percent used it in 2014, according to the uh, Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. But uh, with their own ability to retain power now at stake in Michigan, especially after the uh, the Flint drinking water uh, disaster up there, which is still ongoing, by the way. Uh, Republicans are really desperate to get rid of straight ticket voting as as much as they could, even if it costs them money. Remember, these are Republicans, so they pretend to be conservatives. And yet when they pass this uh, this law that get, gets rid of uh, uh, straight ticket voting, uh, they uh, they included five million dollars for the purchase of new voting equipment, which would be needed in order to get rid of the state uh, straight ticket voting option. Wait, so they had the money <laughs> to yeah. appropriate five million dollars yeah. to get new voting machines or new voting systems in order to be able to handle this. this, this but end. only if you get rid of the type of voting that is hurting us. And, and they don't have any extra money to give to the poor folks in Flint. Uh, that's right. Oh, yeah. Uh, they can go to hell. <laughs> they can go to hell. So um, that's uh, so for right now, in any event, there is an injunction on that. Uh, the uh, Republican uh, attorney general, Bill Schutte, has vowed to seek a stay from the full Sixth Circuit Court. This was just a three circuit uh, three judge panel on the uh, on the Sixth Circuit. And the state of Michigan could put nothing forward to refute what the Sixth Circuit panel had to say. And yet the Republican AG is now going to is vowing he's going to spend even more money to appeal this decision to do anything he can. So that's Michigan. That's the Republican governor and legislature in Michigan. Meanwhile, over in New Jersey, the uh, the African-American uh, uh, reach out effort is going very well, where New Jersey Governor Chris Christie has now vetoed two bills, two bills late last week that would have made it easier for state residents to cast a ballot, including one that would have automatically registered voters when they get uh, when they get uh, new or if they renew their driver's licenses. Uh, the uh, Donald Trump surrogate Chris Christie, according to Think, Pro uh, Think Progress, rejected the automatic registration bill. He called it a cocktail of fraud because it, quote, would almost certainly register ineligible voters. This bill, he said, should be called the Voter Fraud Enhancement and Permission Act in his veto message. Oh, brother. 
He vetoed a bill that uh, would have he also vetoed a bill that would have allowed 17 year old New Jersey residents to vote in primaries if they turn 18 by the time of the general election. Twenty one states and the District of Columbia currently allow 17 year olds to vote in primaries uh, if they're going to be old enough by the time if they're going to be 18 by the time the general election rolls around only makes sense that they get to participate if they wish in the process to select who the candidates will be on the ballot when the actual election occurs, when the actual general election occurs. And you say 21 other states... 21 other states... ...have this without having had their societies collapse. That's correct. Okay. That's correct, yeah. And uh, when it comes to these uh, states for this automatic voter registration, which, by the way, you're going to see. You're going to see this everywhere. And all of the states, I suspect, that are uh, controlled at least by Democrats, you're going to see this more and more where, you know, the the DMV, when you go to get your driver's license, they've already got your information. They've got all the information that they need. There is no reason to have to fill out a registration form and have that typed in and possibly, you know, errors, typos that keep someone from voting. They have the information already. So why not automatically register people? You still don't have to vote if you don't want to. It's not mandatory voting. And you can opt out if you choose. You can say, no, I don't want to be included on the voter registration rolls for whatever reason anybody would have that. But uh, it's currently uh, now uh, Oregon has already started it. Uh, it has now been passed in California, Connecticut, uh, Oregon, Vermont and West Virginia, interestingly enough. Uh, and Brandon Center for Justice calls automatic voter registration the gold standard of modernized registration in Oregon, for example, uh, where they have now implemented it. They started uh, automatic registration for voters in January. They were the first state to do so up in Oregon. It has averaged its average monthly number of new registrations, according to The New York Times, has gone up nearly fourfold under the program. Compared with previous election cycles, 15,000 potential new voters have been added to the rolls per month, including, by the way, a surge in young Republican registrations. So it doesn't only help uh, Democratic voters. Uh, it helps all voters. But Chris Christie, he's against it. No evidence that it leads to fraud, no evidence that it leads to, uh, you know, problems of any type. Yet Chris Christie voted against it, uh, vetoed it in a state, by the way, which is what is this? 39th, I believe. I think they're 39th in the country for both registration and voter turnout. They have a serious problem with voter turnout in the uh, in the state of uh, New Jersey. And yet uh, Chris Christie is unwilling to do anything about it, even when his own legislature has tried it. He tried it twice now uh, to get this done. But uh, Christie has vetoed it both times. And I'd also want to point out that in Oregon, the governor of Oregon, Kate Brown, Mm -hmm. she was formerly the secretary of state of Oregon, the chief elections official. So in signing that automatic voter registration bill that has been so wildly successful in bringing in new voters, she knows what she's talking about. I mean, the woman actually administered mm-hmm. these elections herself, so she knows what the evidence is. She knows how well it works. She knows that it is not a vehicle or a vector for voter fraud, as these Republicans claim. She knows what she's talking about. 
And yet she managed somehow to not collapse the Society of Oregon exactly. and passing yeah. this automatic voter registration the, bill. The director of the New Jersey Working Families, uh, who spearheaded this initiative, uh, told uh, Think Progress last year that uh, the Democracy Act, which was vetoed by Chris Christie, would have improved New Jersey's abysmal voter participation ra- ranking. It's just mind-bending that a governor of a state would be against every single one of his citizens having full ease and access to participate in the voting process. And when it comes to fraud... Uh, This year's bill would have required driver's license applications to include to sign uh, a disclaimer in all capital letters reading, quote, I understand that willfully voting or attempting to vote, knowing that I am not entitled to vote, may subject me to a fine of up to fifteen thousand dollars and imprisonment up to five years or both. So. That's what you would have had to do, uh, you know, when you were going to apply for a license and and be registered to vote. You'd be given that warning. And yet Chris Christie is pretending that uh, it will lead to voter fraud. All right. uh, Before I get to just a quick break, a very quick since all of that news is, I guess, bad news for voters. Um, to give you an idea of what Republicans are now trying to do to win this election, a bit of a very a bit of good news. Very very quickly here, a uh, a few Wilmington, Delaware residents will head to the polls for the first time to vote this year, thanks to a new state law restoring voting rights to ex-offenders in Delaware. The new law made headlines back in July when it was signed by Governor Jack Markell. Um, But now a local man is on a mission to make sure that people are aware of this law. His name is Vash Turner. So far, he has registered at least 400 ex-offenders since just last month. Felon voting rights. Correct. Yeah. Restoring voting rights for felons who are out of jail, who have served their time. Paid their debt to society. Exactly. But they are still not allowed to vote in uh, a number of states. So Vash Turner is on a mission. He's so far he's signed up 400 ex-offenders. I love that. Turner said that sometimes uh, they get out, uh, but they lose the fight because they feel as though they are not a part of society anymore when they are not allowed to vote. Um. Uh, a man who goes by the name of Sali uh, said uh, in this article uh, at this uh, site called Newsworks up in Delaware, people have a civic responsibility to be in the politics of their own neighborhood. And uh, that's an opportunity that Sali vows he will never take for granted again. He said the thing that uh, people fought for and marched for the right to vote and all those things that you've seen happening in the black community is because if you're disenfranchised, you can't control any of the policies that uh, are affecting you. That, that are affecting you and your neighborhood. So it's a good thing that you have the opportunity to vote and to influence who's going to be in office and what policies that they're going to adapt. Uh, uh, another ex-offender by the name of Hanif Salam said that uh, since 2004, every major election year, I've helped somebody's campaign. He said, I remember helping Bo Biden and I remember helping Senator Coons campaign. I would volunteer on these campaigns, but I would hide the fact that I couldn't vote. In September now, Salam will finally be able to uh, to do exactly that. He will be able to cast his vote. Uh, so some good news, some good news today when it comes to voting rights. By the way, if you live in uh, in Delaware, ex-offender or not, uh, you've got until October 15th to register. So those people who uh, take those rights for granted, 
uh, you might want to check. Make sure that you're registered, that you're properly registered. Uh, do so now because the uh, the clock is ticking. Speaking of the clock, I got to get to a break. This is the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. But I'm Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog. Bradblog.com. We talked last week about the head of the North Carolina Republican Party, the GOP executive director, a guy by the name of Dallas Woodhouse, who put out this memo to um, election board to Republicans on election boards around the uh, around the state in North Carolina in the wake of the uh, Fourth Circuit Court uh, just knocking down, just absolutely destroying this huge election uh, voter suppression bill that had been passed by Republicans calling for all manner of, uh, of restrictions that would have, as the court found, uh, s- s- what was the word? Surgically uh, targeted, targeted African-Americans with surgical precision, with nearly surgical precision. Exactly. They found that it was the uh, worst voter suppression law since the Jim Crow era. It would have done all kinds of things, including uh, require photo ID restrictions, limiting early voting, everything else. Well, uh, without that statewide law, that means that it goes back to the counties to decide how long early voting will be, what the rules will be, where the vote, where the, uh, uh, the the precincts will be and so forth. And there is a move by Republicans, naturally, to try to limit early voting, make it as difficult as possible to move uh, polling sites out of uh, out of areas, where, out of schools, out of colleges and universities and so forth to make it harder for students to vote. And so the uh, executive director of the uh, North Carolina GOP put out a memo telling the Republicans on the county boards of election that they should not be afraid uh, to restrict voting any way they can figure out how to do it. Mind you, those aren't you know supposed to be political bodies. Those are supposed to be boards of elections to make sure that everyone can vote. Well, that was Dallas Woodhouse. Well, Dallas Woodhouse's brother... Uh, took to Twitter uh, just a couple of days ago and and spoke to his own brother, Dallas, and said, Dallas Woodhouse, this is blatantly racist and completely disgusting. You should be ashamed of yourself, he said to his own brother. Now, as it turns out, Brad Woodhouse is a Democratic operative. So Dallas is a uh, Republican operative. Brad Woodhouse is a Democratic operative. He's president of the progressive group Americans United for Change. He's the head of a pro-Hillary Clinton super PAC. Uh, 
all of which uh, brings up, and I, we may have even played this years ago on the show. I, back in uh, back in 2014, they made a movie about these two brothers called Woodhouse Divided uh, because they just, you know, they don't get along when it comes to <laughs> politics. They were both on C-SPAN back in 2014 talking about the new documentary Woodhouse Divided when they got a call on C-SPAN. They say they didn't know it was coming at the time. They got a call on air live from their mother. Let's go to this Joy. <laughs> no, go to Joy in Raleigh, North Carolina. Good morning. Hey, Good somebody from down south. Well, you're right. I'm from down south. Oh God, it's mom. And I'm your mother. <laughs> and I di- I disagree that all families are like ours. I don't know many families that are fighting at Thanksgiving. Is this is this really <clears> your mother? No, it's not mom. I was very glad that this Thanksgiving was the year that you two were supposed to go to your in-laws. And I was ho- and I'm hoping you'll have some of this out of your system when you come here for Christmas. Yeah, we were really not together like, this Thanksgiving. We are most years. I would years. really like a peaceful Christmas. <laughs> and I love you both. Hey, now, now let me jump in because this was not planned. She called mm-hmm. in on the normal line. So, uh, but since you did call in, Mrs. Woodhouse, <laughs> What's it like to raise these two boys? Well, it hadn't been easy. <laughs> <laughs> no true words. No true words have ever been said. Oh God! Oh, we love and, you, Mom. Um, and I love and I love politics. I've, uh, their dad and I both love politics. We followed the entire country. I know that we have to take responsibility for them, and they're both. Um, very passionate about what they believe in, and um, and I love that about them. But I um, I hope that um, they just kind of get this out of their system today <laughs> on your program. By the way, that is wishful things. Are you a Democrat or Republican, Mrs. Woodhouse? Well, I am. I am a registered Democrat. That's um, many many years ago. But I have, you know, at times split my ticket. But, um, you know, I'm more concerned. I am concerned for the party who's going to expand Medicaid. I have an autistic grandson who's going to expand health care. So those are, I guess, I am more of a one-issue person right now in my life because I have uh, such concern for my autistic grandson. Joy, thank you for the call. And again, this was not planned, but um, we're glad to hear from you. All right, Thanks, Mom. Mom. We'll see you back home soon. See you this weekend. Let's go. To- hey, Dallas Woodhouse, uh, listen to your mother. <laughs> she, uh, she knows what she's talking about, although she says she doesn't know many uh, families that are fighting at Thanksgiving. I guess she hasn't been to uh, one of the Thanksgivings at, uh, at, at my family's house. Or at my family's house. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, there you go. Light, and apparently they didn't get it out of their system because that was 2014 and they're still bickering about it and still going online and calling each other, at least the Brad calling Dallas, uh, blatantly racist and completely disgusting. 
I guess that's not going well. Uh, in any event, all right, we got to get out of here. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, uh, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is greatly appreciated, as are the uh, the folks who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we do on these, your public airwaves and your fine public internets. Uh, if you'd like to drop me some email, I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. You can find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters and call me anything you like at the Brad blog. I think that's it. Is that it? That's it. Very good. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Hey,